Welcome to And The Nominee Is, an Oklahoma podcast with a twist. Hi, I'm Julie Clemens, and I'm your host. So here's how it works. Each guest has been nominated by a previous guest. All of the guests have a connection to Oklahoma, whether they've just visited here, they work here, or they live here. This keeps the podcast fresh, fun, and right here in Oklahoma. Now you know. So let's get started. Welcome, Maggie Cunningham, to And the Nominee Is. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. You were nominated by Jennifer Lauren, and you want to talk about someone with a lot on her plate. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, that is a full plate. (laughs) Plus appetizer, dessert, you know, all the stuff with it, right? All of it. Well, it's not like you are not busy either. So I want to kind of go through who you are here. So just so people know. So right now you are the um, senior manager of film and video video production at OCO TV. Um, You studied, graduated from Dartmouth College, receiving a Bachelor of Arts and minor in Native American Studies. And uh, you earned your master's degree in museum studies at New York University. That's quite impressive. Um, You have worked in New Hampshire, California, Washington, and holy cow, you worked in New Zealand as well. Yeah, all over. I definitely have been all over. (laughs) Oh, man. So, well, let's let's go back just a little bit. Tell me about uh, growing up in Oklahoma because, I mean, you're with, you work for the Cherokee Nation, but you're, you're affiliated with the Pawnee Nation right? Yes, correct. I am Pawnee. So for Mm -hmm. those who listen, and my podcast is kind of all over, I do this little thing to figure out, you know, where everybody listens. I actually have people listening in Germany, in Italy, believe it or not. And I feel like when we say we're with the Cherokee Nation, we're with the Pawnee Nation, we grew up in Oklahoma, they're visualizing, oh, they grew up in a teepee, you know? (laughs) So... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they, yeah. they think of that. So tell me about, um, I mean, about you growing up in the Pawnee Nation, what that means to you, and just growing up in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, um, I grew up in a house. <laughs> right there. Um, yeah. Four walls, a roof. <laughs> um, would have loved to have grown up in a teepee, though. That'd be Absolutely. Um, but I, yeah, I grew up in the Tulsa area, um, you know, born and raised, and I have just been, you know, it's been an, it's been an interesting journey here in Oklahoma because I've really come back. I mean, the Tulsa, and I, and I am based here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this is where my roots are, but I, this is not the Tulsa I grew up in. And so it's been amazing to come back to a place um, that honestly, I kind of felt like I had to leave, like, you know, in order to accomplish what I thought was success or accomplish what I thought I needed to do in life or to do big things and, and, and go places. Um, I was really able to come back and have, I think it's that natural pool that you have in life where you, as you get older, you want to be around your family. And for me in particular, I needed to be, and I wanted to be around my people. And that was something that, you know, being an at-large citizen is, is a struggle. 
because you're not, you're just not there. Right. And that's really where you want to be. And so all those things just kind of happen where it kind of, kind of just sends you back. And for me, it's, it can't, it let me, led me back home to Tulsa and it's been amazing. It's, it's been incredible. And I've, I have a step been able to establish myself here in ways and in an industry that I never thought I'd be working in. So yeah, absolutely. Isn't that amazing how we move away from who we are to find out who we are? And then to yeah. to discover that when we come back around to the beginning, oh, there I am. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, I'm here I am. Here's my roots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what made you gravitate to museum studies? I think it was always, um, I was a studio art major. I painted my way through college. Oh, nice. God That's bless, a talent. Well, God bless my parents for letting me do that. I don't know. <laughs> They didn't, um, they didn't verbally say anything. Um, so, you know, working as an artist though, I could, there's no way I could make my living as an artist. So for me personally, I wasn't that talented. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't oh, that come talented. On. I couldn't have. And so it was just that natural next step of, well, what can I do with this? I love art. I want to be, and I should say, I love native art. Like I want to be around native art. Um, so how do I, how do I translate that? And so the path for me was looking at being able to curate. Um, but I also have a background. Um, I worked as an, as a archivist in Seattle for, for several years. That was really my first career jump was I worked oh. as a photo, a photo archivist. And I, so I preserved photos and some limited textiles and just kind of worked in preservation. Okay. Let's stop right there for a second. What does that take to preserve things? I mean, did you wear, I, I've always seen like the white gloves or what, I mean, how does that work? How do you, how do you yeah. do that? Um, well, it, it was kind of, I learned a lot of stuff. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't going to, I didn't have my master's degree at this point in museum studies. And so it really was, I learned everything that I could from the head archivist there. And so I just really, it really was a very unique job. I was actually working as a personal archivist for a certain family. And so that was something, you know, a family that lived a really full life um, and that was able to have an archiving staff. So it was this very unique opportunity that led me into a space where I realized that I could really turn my journey of art. And even though it wasn't specifically native art at this point, it was a space where I was preserving culture. And I was able to kind of keep these things that I loved, you know, genealogy and history and things right. like that um, in one place. So it was it was some pretty it was a pretty incredible start to um, just figuring out where I wanted to go. And I was doing it in Seattle, which is a really beautiful city. Oh, <laughs> so. I can imagine. I can imagine. So, OK, so tell me, where was Seattle then? So was Seattle before Dartmouth or before you went to New York? No, Seattle is after Dartmouth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I moved in with some college uh, friends. We were all roommates in Seattle. So yeah. So it was um, it was an evolution from uh, California. I see. I think I went to California first. Southern California. I feel like you. I hit these markers that people need <laughs> right, when they're trying to find themselves. Um, but yeah, I spent some time in Southern California, and um, but then it was Seattle, and that's where I spent a good chunk of a good chunk of time for the next decade before I moved into my master's degree. Yeah. 
I read where you had said college was a cultural shock and Native American studies grounded you. What did you mean by that? Like college was a cultural shock. Was it just, do you think there were a lot of people there that just didn't look like you, didn't have the same background? Absolutely. Um, Well, coming from, coming from a place like Oklahoma where you go into New Hampshire, which is a different culture of its own, but I think it's specifically Dartmouth. Um, It's a very affluent, very prestigious space that I also wasn't ready for. They have a very unique space with Native students. A former president of the college in the 1970s, I believe it was President Kemeny, because Dartmouth College was founded for Native Americans. That's how they got their funding, you know, in the, okay. in the 70s. Okay. I was going to ask what the draw. Okay. Okay. But they quickly dropped that, you know, and then didn't do anything with Native students for, for many centuries. Um, but in the 1970s, you know, um, he decided to reenact that founding. And so they actively started a Native American studies program, a Native American program for students. And so there was this small contingency of Native students that was really strong in the middle of this beautiful campus in New Hampshire. And that was a draw to me for sure. It wasn't the only draw. I think I probably just wanted to get as far away. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, as all young people do, right? When they're done, I you know, I, yeah. I feel like I need to see the world, right? Yeah. But but the culture shock goes with that. Like you you start your feet, you're not there's like all this stuff that you're this the whole mix of everything. You're figuring out what you want in life, what you're doing, who you are. Um, and then on top of that, you're just in a very affluent, uh, non-native culture. And uh, so being able to to find my people essentially and being able to feel empowered in being native and not kind of being overwhelmed and, and, and uh, taken over by those feelings right. um, and feeling strong as a native student on campus there, it was just so important. I, I mean, I don't even know what I'd be doing if I didn't have that kind of start to being um, outside of my my safe bubble of home. I, and I get that. Let's talk about New Zealand because you want to talk about probably feeling maybe a little bit more to where you fit in because you said you were blown away by the dedication to indigenous experiences and collections. Tell me about that and your experience in New Zealand because I'm fascinated with New Zealand. I think that I was, I was at a point in my life when I went to New Zealand, which they call, you know, they, it's that's another thing. They don't even call it New Zealand. You know, it's, it's Aotearoa, which means, you know, I believe if I remember correctly, it's land oh. of the long white cloud. But land it, of the it, long a, white cloud. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh. And so it's a, it's a space that, you know, they, they have, I was quickly welcomed, you know, as just another native person, it, I would meet people and I would meet Maori people. And it was, I was there working. I should back up a little bit. I was there working at the national museum um, as an intern and working on my thesis, but I was under an indigenous, a, a Maori curator. And I looked around and the director and um, other people on staff were Maori and they were native. And it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a question. I mean, Maori's telling their own history and cultural spaces and in historical spaces was not something that was even, it, w- it was just happening. It wasn't a conversation that, you know, the parallels here in this country right. where we talking about it. And we're just now starting to talk about native representation and what that looks like and, and how, and how we can accomplish it. It's just happening there, you know, and I understand it's not perfect. They don't have the exact same history, 
as us, you know, they're an island nation. But, you know, just just seeing that bicultural nature of Aotearoa was enlightening because something just clicked. Like this is they're living in the future over here. Like they're doing things like the way that I wish that we could just exist, you know, whether that's signs or whatever, the language is being spoken, you hear it, it's in it's in places, it's it's just present. And so just having that, um, I could imagine what that would do for our native people here, you know, so it was just really cool. It was a really cool space to be. And the, 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 not only the culture, but the people are amazing. They remind you of, of your uckas and your aunties and, and the ones that you have here at home because they're just a warm, inviting, um, you know, family essentially. And they take you in. I, I immediately was told, Oh, you're, you're one of us, you're native, you're a sister. Let's, let's just do this, you know? Nice, so. nice. All right, so I just want to back up just a little bit um, at Dartmouth because um, you studied, um, you know, American Indian studies, and one of them. This is something I and I should have heard of, but I but I haven't. But it was called NAGPRA. Yeah, what you did was Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, is NAGPRA what it stands for for listeners. So it's repatriating human re- remains, bringing people home from um, museum collections. That to me, that would affect someone. Yeah, and I don't know how it's not connected to my time at Dartmouth. I worked. Um, oh, okay. I worked okay. in. I worked in NAGPRA for the Pawnee Nation for, for oh, my okay. people mm-hmm, before I was here at OCO. Okay, and so. It's, it's been a, um, for me, it's really been a full circle. I think that's how, you know, I'm able to, I think that that's helpful in a space that I come from is that I've come from a career of museum, museum work and cultural heritage work where we're often a people of the past and we're talking about our history and our culture. I feel like I, I have this common, like, you know, I'm at that stage one. Like if I'm having, I can never have an elevated or a progressive conversation about native culture and identity and, and myself as a person often, because I'm having to go back to stage one and talk (laughs) about why I don't live in a teepee, why I don't, you know, all this type of that. I just, it's just the, the ground that I have to cover and often. And so working in NAGPRA was a space that was very difficult because you're working because it wasn't just human remains repatriation, that was a big part of it, but it's also, you know, space where you're fighting for, you know, the rights that you have under this um, federal law that's been in place for a really long time, um, but not a lot of people know about. And and that's just that we have this, you know, this right to retain our cultural objects and, and, our, and our human remains. So it was, it was a place where... Um, and I, I, going back to the full circle, it was, it's a space where, you know, I'm coming from a, from a place where that's where I've worked for several years. And then being able to leave that space of working with human remains and being able to tell these amazing stories um, of Cherokee people where, you know, not only are we thriving, but we're alive. I mean, that's, that's just, a, <laughs> wow, that's a great way to look at. Yes. I see what you're saying. And they're amazing stories of Cherokee people. So it's, that's why I always say it's full circle for me. Tell me then uh, being full circle, part of that circle, how then did you make that transition to the Cherokee nation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was just, I started working as a producer and I, 
wasn't really sure. I needed a change because it is heavy work. Working in NAGPRA, um, I was doing it for a couple years and I, I, it was this inherent sense of pride and joy that came from helping my people, but I did need a change. It's definitely not something that I could take on emotionally for much longer. And so an opportunity came up um, with OCO TV that I was just, you know, I definitely jumped at and I wondered how I fit into the film industry, you know, TV industry. I did definitely kind of have a bit of anxiety about I'm, I've never worked in this. What am I going to do? Of course, I'm not going to get the job like that type of feeling. But then I did. And, you know, it's, it has, it has turned into a place where it's, it, it's part of that end of the of the circle where, well, there is no end to in a circle, I shouldn't say, but it's that part of the circle, that cycle where, you know, I, I can, I can do this work. And it's, it's only been empowering to come from a space of representation in many parts of that circle that I've already experienced. So now um, I'm able to tell these stories, but career wise, I mean, there was just like, I felt like, you know, as long as I could come from the, the best thing that I could offer was that I was already coming from a place where I understood what it be, meant to be native. And I understood what that meant as a person. So to me, there wasn't too much of a difference of coming from the museum world um, in, in preserving culture and history and telling our stories from that perspective to just telling those stories. Just on telling film. the story in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So there was aspects of storytelling that was part of both of that, both aspects of that work that I'm able to just really go and run with now. And it's just been incredible. You've been with OCO um, since 2020, correct? Yes. I I started actually in 2018. So it's been a little bit longer, but yeah. So around five, I think it was. So what is your, what is your favorite part of working with OCO TV. I mean, what did you, what do you like to do? Cause I can tell you, I just think it's amazing watching it. You guys really are just wonderful storytellers and um, just getting to know a, a side of my culture. Cause I'm Cherokee. My daughter just got her card. Woohoo. So um, she's a part of the tribe, which is so nice to feel like uh, in a way you belong you know, to a tribe. I mean, obviously you have your family, but it's, but it's different. It's a different, it's a different feeling. It's like this exclusive club, right? (laughs) So, so what is it, what does it feel like working behind the the scenes? For me personally, um, I think that it's being able to connect with Cherokee community members, because that's really where we hold ourselves accountable because I feel, I definitely think that our team, I can say that for our team is like, we hold ourselves accountable to the community. Like that's a space that, you know, we want to be able to be always be proud of the work that we present on OCO. But I think in those moments where we're able to, you know, because we have all kinds of people that um, we approach about featuring their stories on OCO TV. And some people are completely jazzed about being on TV, but other people are not like, they're just, they're humble to a fault where they don't want to, they don't want to <laughs> yeah. talk about, they don't want to talk up themselves. They don't, let alone like kind of showcase themselves and, and whether that be their talents or their life story. Right. And so I think being able to sit with somebody in their kitchen at the table and have a cup of coffee and just talk to them and make, and kind of put them at ease and, and have them understand that their story is important as a native person and as a Cherokee person. 
for me, that's, those are the moments that I, that I love and that I, I get the most out of, and that really keep me going. I mean, I just, those are, those are the moments in the Cherokee community that really empower me and that just keep me going in doing this work. I love it. Yeah. Cause it's such an honor, right? It's such an honor to just be a, a part of their life and to be able to tell um, such a, a powerful story. Yeah. And to be, to be trusted with that story, I think too. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Well, I, I want to say thank you for trusting me with your story and for giving me um, a little bit of time out of your busy day to to talk to me and let people know about you and a little bit about behind the scenes of OCO TV. And let's move into another direction of nominees. So this is the part of the podcast where I ask you if you have someone you would like to nominate. So is there anyone you have in mind, Maggie? Yeah, actually, I would like, I would love to nominate um, our new film commissioner, ah. Taba, Taba Molesofsky, who has come to us from um, the Oklahoma State Office, film office. Um, and so, and she is Cherokee. Um, but I, I love, I would love the work that she's doing and the, the, the future that she has here in Cherokee film. So I'm, I'm really excited to nominate oh, her. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. You're going to have to repeat her name. Tava Molloy-Sofsky. Tava Molloy-Sofsky. All right. So, well, I'm looking forward to connecting with her and letting her tell her story to our listeners. And Maggie, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell your story. And um, it, it's an honor to to talk to you. It's just what an incredible story and a way that you moved into the Cherokee Nation and you're helping behind the scenes tell the story of the people and let the rest of the world know that no, we don't all still live in teepees. Sometimes we do, and, <laughs> and that's, that's okay, that's right? <laughs> All right, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time on And the Nominee Is. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of And the Nominee Is. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.